This podcast contains explicit content and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Don't say we didn't warn you. Hello and welcome. My name is Madison. And I'm Hannah. And you're listening to Who's Knocking? Yet another true crime podcast. This is our very first episode and we are so excited to get into it. So every episode, one of us will tell a gruesome tale. We'll give you all the details, the blood, the gore, and most importantly, hopefully, the why. And please let's keep in mind, this is a show about murder multiple murders sometimes, cults, horrible stuff. It is intended for mature audiences. Maybe that should be obvious. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrifying. So should we tell them a little bit about ourselves? Yeah, I think that would be, uh, that'd be good. I'll start. Okay. So like I said, I'm Hannah. I'm a dog trainer by day. I work with rescue dogs, rehab dogs, basically the opposite of what we talk about taking fucked up animals and helping them feel better. What about you, Madison? I am an actor. I have worked in film and television for the last million years, and I've been on a show called Heartland for a long time. I'm also a mother of two, so I spend most of my days momming. Um, I've started taking pottery classes. (laughs) That's so cool. That's my new thing. Uh, that's me. Yeah. Your dog, I mean, your momming. I'm dog momming. Yeah. Just two moms (laughs) slugging it. I love to claim that I'm a mom, but I'm not. Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) All my other dog people know. (laughs) And yeah, that's pretty much us. We nurture small beings by day and we talk true crime by night. Yeah. We're going to tell you some really horrific stories and we're we're gonna we're gonna laugh while we do it we're we're here to have a good time we're here to make entertainment but we're also here to you know talk somewhat seriously about the most horrific true crime stories that we can find yeah we like the extremeness of the stories but we're also really interested in the psychology and kind of what makes a killer what makes these events happen so we're gonna get into all of that yes and we are of course by no means experts so please feel free to discuss with us maybe you are an expert and you you have expertise on psychology or serial killers or whatever or maybe you just want to chat uh we have instagram twitter emails which we will get to at the end of the episode so please interact with us we clearly don't have enough people in our lives to talk murder with. Yeah, we welcome the feedback. So with all that being said, shall we get into our first episode? We shall. This episode is going to be told by me, Madison, and it is about Stephen Williams and the death of Trisha Todd. So we are experimenting a little bit. We're, we're going to try this rating system. So every episode, the person who tells the episode is going to rate it from 1 to 10 excuse me, one being like a Dateline episode 2020. So like one being like a murder, but like, you know, just a chill murder, (laughs) just your average murder. 10 being, you know, I don't know, Jonestown, Ted Bundy, or like something with like cannibalizing children. I don't know, something just 
horrible. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, the listener, so in this case, Hannah, will give her rating. We'll see if they differ, if they're the same, why or why not. And then we throw it out to you guys. And I, we'd love to get your rating and your feedback to see where we stand on this type of thing, how desensitized we are to these stories. Maybe you guys think we're totally crazy. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, so for this episode, I would put it at about a 3 out of 10. Okay. This was an, uh, a story that I heard on some sort of Dateline or ID or something. I don't remember what exactly. And it was, I, I tend to fall asleep to, to, a, to a good Dateline episode. You know, just something to have some nice light nightmares too. Yeah, I pretty much have nightmares 100% of the time, which I'm fine with. <laughs> I live with that and I enjoy it. Okay, sure. Every day when I wake up, I'm so relieved. Okay, that's a good way to look at it. Right? Free horror movie. Sure. So there's that. But um, yeah, I, I, I listened to this episode or saw it. And it was like just your average, you know, woman goes missing and what happened to her? They look at the husband and blah, blah, blah. I won't spoil it. But the end was quite shocking. Okay. So that's what brings it up above a one, in my opinion. And I think... It, We'll see. We'll see where you stand. Well, I'm interested to hear. I've never heard about this case. I know nothing about it. So I'm coming in with a very open mind. So get ready. I'm ready. All right. Let's get into it. Sounds good. So Trisha Gale Todd, uh, she was born February 19th, 1986 in Stewart, Florida. And she is the only sister of seven brothers. They are a very devout Christian family. Um, she was described by everyone as very vibrant and outgoing. She uh, had a daughter, two years old, and her name was Faith, is her daughter is alive. Um, and she met Stephen Williams in elementary school. And they dated throughout high school. And right after high school, they both joined the Air Force and got married. They got married when they were 18 and 19 years old, so very early yeah, like high school sweethearts kind of story. Exactly. And by all accounts, they were a wonderful couple. By all accounts, he was a great guy. He uh, did very well in school. Uh, a lot of Trisha's brothers, I've seen interviews with them, and they were like, he was a very disciplined guy. He did very well in school. Everybody looked up to him. Everybody liked him. The family really, really liked him. It was very clear, listening to a lot of interviews, that they really liked him. Um, so... After 10 years of marriage, they separated for a year. And then after one year, they divorced. So that was in 2016, their, uh, their divorce went through. Um, and the divorce appeared to be very amicable. Uh, Trisha's father has been quoted and interviewed uh, after her death, saying that it was so amicable. She didn't want alimony. She was totally fine. So she, she made it seem like everything was, was cool. Everything seems very unlike the normal crime story to start. Nothing seems out of place so far. Well, and that's the thing. That's how a lot of the, the Dateline stuff starts. So Trisha had full custody of the daughter, and she moved the both of them to Hope Sound, Florida, to be close to her family. That's where, I guess, a majority of her family lived. I don't know everything about all the seven brothers, but at least a number of them were there. She was living with one of the brothers. 
um, she became a registered nurse and got a job working at a hospice, which I think says something about somebody's personality. Like working at a hospice is like no joke. It's working with people who are going to die in case anybody doesn't know what hospice is. It's where you go to when you are so terminal that you're, you know, you're going to die pretty much. So, I mean, I could never do something like that. So she was living with her brother, Joshua at the time, uh, her and Faith were, and Stephen was living in North Carolina on a, his Air Force base. I don't really know much about the Air Force, but he was living there to do his Air Force job. Right. And um, he would come and visit. They didn't have a set schedule. They didn't have, I don't know about childcare payments. I know there's a difference between alimony and what is it? Child support? To be honest, I don't know, but it kind of sounds like she wasn't really asking for either one from him. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I don't know if there was child support payments, but as we will see later, there is something to do with finances. But there was nobody said like he owed her child support, but she allegedly declined alimony, which is like when you get when you get divorced, you can get alimony if there's no children involved. I'm pretty sure I'm, it's like if you were married and yeah, you're entitled to 50 percent or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't I don't know the details. But anyway. No divorces from us. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Hopefully not. Yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> um, so on April 27th, 2016, Trisha's family reported her missing to the police after she failed to show up uh, to work at the hospital. Um, so then her family went to go check out her home and they found her car in the driveway and it was parked in a kind of unusual way and her purse was on the seat and her keys in the ignition. Whoa, okay. So, obviously, something is up. They clearly started to worry. Yeah. Um, the police ended up finding some video surveillance footage of her grocery shopping that evening. Um, and then they also, when they went to check out her home, they found those items that she purchased at the store in her home. So, that they, they knew from the time, like, whatever time that was, she got home, she put the items away or whatever. Um, and then they did have one witness, an eyewitness, claiming to see her leave her house that night. So after they started finding this stuff and they still hadn't found her, they started looking for her f through her phone records and they were able to see that Trisha had gone to see her ex-husband that night. So as I said, he was in town. Mm. They had actually spent the day together, like as a family. Um, and he had uh, rented, a, I, I don't know if it was an Airbnb or if it was just a regular B&B or whatever, but he rented a, a little spot, a little house so that he could visit with them. Through her phone records, they saw that they had texted and she had gone over. He had said that she was sick and was asking for Trisha. So she went over to like tend to the child or whatever. So they obviously went to Stephen to ask him about this. And he told them that he had texted her and that she came over. And then once Faith had fallen back to sleep, Trisha had left. And that had been around 2 a.m. Stephen told them that Trisha was supposed to pick up Faith the next morning, but she never showed up. Wait, so she when did she go to the grocery store? That was before she Yeah, went so to the kid. I don't know exactly what the time, but that was probably like eight PM. Okay, okay. And then later at like midnight is when he texted her and she went over and like put the kid to bed, or whatever. And then he's saying that at two AM around that time is when she left and went home. Okay. And then she never showed back up the next day. He told them that the next morning he took Faith to a Walmart and to the Bush Wildlife Sanctuary in Jupiter. That sounds fun. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a nice day. And um, he called Trisha, sent her text asking where she was because uh, obviously he needed to drop their daughter off so he could drive home. But after no answer for hours, he finally dropped Faith off with a babysitter and left. Okay. 
So my suspicion would be like, okay, you clearly know this family very well. Like not only did he go to school with Trisha, but he went to school with all the brothers and like knows the family very well. But I have found nowhere where he reached out to them. Interesting. Because they found out by her not showing up to work. Right. So that was just a huge red flag for me. He just kind of dipped out and like left the kid with the babysitter. Like he wasn't really yeah, like, too interested in uh, finding like, out Would you happens? not call the child's grandfather? Whatever. You know? Yeah. Or even like the police maybe? Yeah. So I was like, there's no mention that he contacted the relatives, which he at least at one point knew very well. They claimed that everything was amicable with the divorce. So you right. would assume that they were like, you know, not... Like, relatively on good terms. Like, there's a person missing. You yeah. Even if you're, like, on bad terms with someone, you'd, like, be like, okay, someone's missing. Like, we could yeah. put our differences aside if there even were differences. Right. So that was my my little red flag there. But after speaking to him, to Stephen, the police found him to be very nice, very cooperative. He also uh, suggested and agreed to take a polygraph test, but the results came back as inconclusive. Okay. Um, but he was, like, pretty keen on taking it so they're like okay like seems like a stand-up guy yeah they seem to really (laughs) like him charming okay yeah um so when they started when the police started going through trisha's trisha's things they found an online journal that she had been posting on and i've you can see this journal it's still online i've gone through it there's like years worth of i love a good blog yeah it's it is and it's like it's very like old school you know, she yeah, started like live in journal like 2000 or something. It's like very long ago. So it's if not, you know, you it's know. not the social media that we have today. Um, and they started to learn about a new man in Trisha's life since she, she had only moved to Hope Sound like pretty recently. Um, and she had met somebody else clearly. Okay. Um, and she wrote very extensively about him in her online journal. I don't know if it was a blog or if there's a difference, but everybody calls it an online journal. So that's what I'm gonna call it um and she seemed super into him every article was like she was obsessed with him and like i didn't i read it and like she seemed super into him but like was also kind of elusive i like obsessed sounds like like what defines obsessed it's like pretty extreme way to describe something but yeah that's like jody area yeah obsessed (laughs) yeah she like trisha didn't kill anyone um But so there's one quote that a lot of people use, and I think you might find it interesting um, in her online journal, quote, this painful love affair. It's a Pisces and Scorpio thing. Are you happy? I've never had a deep blue love affair with a true Scorpio that did not feel this way. End quote. Hmm. Mysterious. Yeah. So clearly it's interesting because she's like super very like devout christian all her blogs or journal entries are just talking about like her connection with god and like a lot of it goes into like her and steven like their relationship and how it evolved through their christian beliefs and whatever but she's also like quite into astrology and i i find it interesting the overlap in that yeah, for sure. I mean, it seems kind of like out of left field for someone who's so religious to be into something that's like pseudoscientific. Yeah, yeah. Or I don't know. Yeah, I just I just found it very interesting. Um, I mean, all respect to astrology. I like it. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one source alleged that this the man that she was talking about, who's never named, but okay. alleged that this man was a ventriloquist. 
well, that's just really cool. So, <laughs> which like shout out to anybody if they're a ventriloquist. It's just like the most random thing I've ever heard. Cause... You think it's a red flag? <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I do. I do. I do think it's a red flag. Um, and also that he was not into her at all. Interesting. Unfortunately. Um, so the detectives they began following this man around to see if Trisha would eventually show up, um, and she did not. But they tailed him for quite a while. They did also end up speaking to him on a number of occasions, and they found him very credible, very helpful, just like Stephen, and they ruled him out as a suspect. Oh, okay. Does, do you, like, does it say based on what that they ruled him out? I don't remember if it was because he had an alibi, but they they ruled him out definitively for some reason. Got it. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was an alibi, but not... 100%. When they looked further into her journal, mind you, like, it's a, it's years yeah, worth of journal yeah. entries. It's a lot. I was reading through it, and, like, I probably read, like, 10% of it, and I yeah. was a lot. It's like the Unabomber Manifesto. Yeah. Well, it's just, like, one woman's, <laughs> It just goes like, on at a certain point. Years and years yeah. and years of journaling. Like, if you read all my journals, it would take a long time. I'd read those. If they're not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they started seeing a lot of shady stuff to do with Stephen. Um, okay. Their relationship was not at all peachy the way that she, or the way that her family, at least. Like, it's so interesting because even after everything is said and done, the family is like, we thought he was the greatest guy. He was so great to her. He's so patient. Blah, 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 blah. So then I'm reading back and I'm like, years back, I think it was in 2009, they ended up separating for two years and they both saw other people. And it seems that one of the things like, and this is probably more of like, I don't know if it wasn't this, but like his behavior, he was like, she's alleging that he he was killing her pets. Whoa, that is not what I expected you to say. Here is the post where she talks about how she's tried to forgive him for like all of whatever he's done to her previously. But she's like, I, it's been really hard to forgive him for all of this. And mind you, this, none of this has been proven. Nobody's proved that he's killed all her pets. Right, it's her Some blog. people, even on Reddit, are alleging that she had some sort of mental illness and, like, she was the one killing her pets, which also yeah. is unsubstantiated. This is a he said, she said situation. And at the beginning of this post, it's interesting. I'll just read this, the beginning of this post. We're looking at a blog post and there's some pictures of dogs on it, some cute dogs. Yeah. So the beginning, the blog post is titled Restitution and Forgiveness. Big word. You can call me crazy. Go ahead. I don't care. I'm paying Charlene, Stephen's main girlfriend, back for the lovely key marks I scratched deep into the paint all the way down to the metal of her shiny black Maxima. She probably thinks I'm crazy. I don't care. She's probably traded that car in already. I don't care. She's probably going to use the money for new rims or something. That's besides the point. Okay. And then she writes, Matthew 614, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. And then she writes, there's some pictures of dogs, and she writes, Charlie and Cecil. They're cute. Their story is long and sad. In the end, they died, of course. Charlie died from a kick in the abdomen. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there's, this is I draw the line. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Well, a lot of people are not cool with that. Like, don't listen to right now if you can't listen to animals being abused. Charlie died from a kick in the abdomen. The story was a car hit him, in quotes. My neighbor helped me bury him while Stephen played video games. Cecil and Charlie will always have a very special place in my heart. We got a Doberman at one point. Stephen wanted it. 
I guess walking a Doberman made him feel like a man. I fell in love with her. I woke up one morning and she was gone. Stephen had dropped her off along the wood, uh, the wooded road to Columbia. Uh-uh. And here's a picture of a cat. Miss Kitty, her neck was, in quotes, accidentally broken. Oh, my God. Pictures of two more cats. Macy and Tiger. Both were poisoned slowly. As I recently found out, putting small doses of household chemicals into their drinking water is an excellent way to kill kittens. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yep. Tiger was such a fun little cat. He loved to give me love punches. Smiley face. Oh, love punch. Okay. Picture of another kitten. They're Macy. Cute. She was my little toughie. She fought the hardest and lived the longest. In the end, she died slowly in my arms. Sad you guys, face. this is a lot of animals. Like, it this just keeps is going. Ex- an extensive amount of animals that she's Fuck. claiming he murdered. Uh, and here's another picture of a kitten. Peanut. Beat to death with a crutch. No. I couldn't make an excuse for him that time it truly takes an evil person to kill such a sweet kitten that's when i finally saw him for what he was and left him girl finally like <laughs> how many animals does he have to kill yeah it took five Fuck. steven stood and watched coldly while i cried my eyes out cleaning up the blood i can't like, believe she put this in her blog for like me to see yeah we're reading it right now after that i called my first shirt and begged him to put me on the first thing smoking to iraq i have forgiven my soon-to-be ex-husband for many things but have been holding out on these things with god's help i'm going to forgive him for killing my pets tonight and then there's a picture of her and a little puppy and it says thank god for my little penelope she's my love oh god penelope i'm worried for you this is 2009 Okay. She dies in 2016. Okay. So this is the start of there's so they're married uh would have been about 2006ish. Right. Uh and knew each other in high school. Yes. All that. So by 2009 is like where their relationship comes to a halt. They get separated. They don't I don't think they divorced because they only divorced once. Okay. Um and this I think this is like the final straw. I mean, yeah, that's a deal breaker. Which, and, and at the, the beginning, she talks about one of his girlfriends. So I assume he's also cheating on her. Right. Which, to me. And she keyed her car. Okay, yeah. yeah. To me, like, all this stuff is going on. Yeah. She's killing multiple animals. Allegedly. He's cheating on her. She's writing about it online. Right. How does none of her family know? How is her family at the end being like, he was such a great guy? Like, yeah. How did, how did this not come out? Like, something doesn't add up. I don't know. Like, there's... At the, part of this, uh, she says something about... Um, somewhere in the journal situation, like, there's some posts that are more private, some are less or whatever. But I don't know okay. who's able to see them. But, like, maybe it's just, like, we're living in 2021 where, like, everything's so accessible and this was 2009. Yeah, like, they didn't know to look. By the way, shout out Live Journal. It is on Live Journal. It is live journal, yeah. Was that a thing? Yeah. I had a live journal. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who did it? I didn't. <laughs> you aren't cool enough. Well, because I, like, still write in journals. Okay, that is probably cooler. So, I think that if you read through her journals, you kind of get the idea that she was... Obviously, she's, like, super Christian, and she's really, like, keen on, like, forgiveness. Right. And there was a big post that I read where... It was where she started to forgive him and where they got back together. Okay. Um, and she's like, I went to his place and he just had Bibles everywhere and good Christian literature. Like, clearly, I think he made it either truly he, like, started getting really into it and, like, becoming the man that she wanted him to be or he was making it seem like, I don't know. Okay. Wolfing. Um, and 
I think my assumption has to be that none of Trisha's close friends or family read this journal because none of them are coming out of the woodwork saying like, yeah, he was the worst. After going through this journal, um, the detectives were like, all right, let's, let's take another look at Steven. I would. Yeah. Good call. Um, they found another witness who saw Steven driving Trisha's car that night by himself. Okay. After he said that she had gone home, which would explain why her car was parked unusually. I don't know how, mm, got it. like, how it was parked, but it just, like, the way, in a, a way that she, maybe it was, like, facing the opposite yeah. or something. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so this led the te- detectives, this led, this led the detectives to re-interview Steven. Um, and they then, even, like, as this is all happening, I don't know if they had interviewed him again and then they found this or whatever, but at the time, they found footage of Stephen running around in a wooded area between his rental and Trisha's house wearing army fatigues, a skull cap, and carrying a huge backpack. Not suspicious at all. That just sounds so, like no big deal. So, yeah, yeah, so that was... That was a pretty big red flag for them. <laughs> now, mind you, at the time, as this is happening... There are people searching for her because right now she's a missing person. Right. Um, and I guess they live in and around a lot of like nature land and wooded areas, et cetera, et cetera. So people are searching, but they have no clue where to go. And there's a lot to search. Yeah. Lots of ground to cover. So it's it is it is a wild goose chase in a sense. Um, but so they they drove out to North Carolina where he'd gone back to to confront him with the information. And that's when his story began to change. So when they presented him with the video footage and the eyewitness evidence, he started to admit a little bit of involvement. So he told them that when Trisha came over at his request, she asked him to go fill up her car with gas because I guess she had arrived. Like This has never happened to me where I've like arrived somewhere and been like, oh, I'm out of gas. But I, I guess this happens to people. I buy it. Yeah. Um, And he claims that upon returning from the gas station, he found her on the ground in front of their guest best uh, in front of the guest bedroom. And I guess the rental with a big cut on her forehead. And she was unresponsive. I mean, he could have mentioned that before. Seems like very, (laughs) very relevant information. Yeah. Um, And he says that he was scared to report it because of his job, which. Sure seems sketchy yeah um and so then he put her in the backseat of her own car and he went into his rental to think okay didn't know what to do so i mean if i was in that situation i'd just be like yo 911 like came back from the gas station and my ex-wife is on the floor with a big cut in her head and she's not responding i mean you would think but that's not what he did um he left their two-year-old daughter asleep in bed And he started to drive around and think about what he was going to do. He said that he stopped at a random location. He didn't remember. And he left her on the side of the road. He said he wasn't quite sure whether or not she was dead and that she may have been breathing. And he said he left her phone and wallet with her in case she woke up and needed to call for help. These do not sound like the actions of an innocent man. Nope. Um, and so Steven stuck with that story about finding Trisha dead on the floor for a while. There was video footage. Like I found a video of him, like showing the police around the rental and being like, this is where I found her. And they're like, okay, okay, cool. Um, and I think at the, at that point they just wanted to find her. 
Right. Because um, he kind of alleges that, like, maybe she's alive. I don't know. Yeah, maybe she I got think, up and walked away. I think at that point they're like, okay, like, she's probably not alive, but, like, we need right. to find her. Um, and so he agreed to go drive around with the officers and, like, point out where he left her. But he then he was like, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Great guy. Yeah. Just awesome. And at this point... Um, yeah, the search teams were still out, and, th- like, they had searched people out, so they were like, tell us where you put her! Tell us where you put her! And right. then he just, he kept being like, oh, maybe over here. He, like, like, forgot. Yeah, wait till you get to the interrogation. He's just, like, the most annoying person. I mean, he kills animals, so I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so they knew that his story did not add up. They had all the evidence of him, like, being in her car and being out, like, 4 a.m., running through the woods in his army fatigues. Giant for backpack. what reason. Um, but they didn't have a body. And I think it's pretty well understood that it's very hard to prosecute someone for murder without a body. Fair enough. Plus, they obviously wanted to find her so that they could give her family some uh, closure. Right. And, like, bury her and everything. Um, during a recorded interview... Uh, he was dealing with Detective DeLuke, and he confronts Stephen with all the evidence that they have. And it's very clear they can prove that Stephen was involved in the disappearance, um, which at this point he'd somewhat copped to. Like, he, yeah. he said that he left her somewhere. Fair enough. I think he's implicated himself already. Yeah. And so there's a big interrogation video, and I've watched it a number of times now. Um, and... This detective, it's funny because a lot of the people comment in uh, the comment section is very funny. Um, the detective clearly takes an approach where he's like talking, talking, like talking and I'm talking and I'm talking and I'm trying to get be like, there's going to be a trial and there, people are going to see you like this, but you want to get in front of the narrative and whatever, whatever. And everyone's like, man, this guy talks so much. He's like talking at him at like a four to one ratio. Like he needs to be quiet. But clearly it kind of did work. Um I'll, I will show you a, a little piece of it. Yeah, um, I want to hear this. So, um, he convinced Stephen, um, and he, so he, he talks about that there's inevitably going to be a trial. They have enough to, like, charge him. Um, and he's like, basically, Stephen, you have two options. You could not give us any more information and, and I'll never talk to you again. And then you're just going to let the police and the public draw their own conclusions. And it's going to make you look like a total monster who planned and executed this murder. And he's like, Stephen, I don't think you planned this. I don't think you like went out and planned this and got stuff to take her out and chop her up. Like, we don't think that that's who you are. He's good copying him. Yeah. And he's like, he even is like at one point, he's like, you know, we've talked like, I think in another situation, like we could be friends. And it's like, first of all, I'm like, if I'm being interrogated by somebody like this, I'm like, you're full of shit, obviously. Like, I don't like who in the right mind is like buying this copying. Like, no, man, like we would totally be friends. Like, no, you think I murdered someone like you don't want to be my friend. (laughs) He's like, yeah, maybe we should be friends. Yeah. Like, but they still do it. So clearly it at least makes people like comfortable. I feel like I could see that. I feel like if you even give a, an illusion to make you feel like you're on someone's side, even if it's, like, really obviously not true, if you're really nervous and, like, you did murder someone, like, you kind of just grip to it, maybe? Yeah, sure. I don't know. But it, it's, it's... I just... I love interrogation videos. I find them so fascinating. We're going to watch it, right? I'll, I'll show you a clip of it and you may go home and watch it. Like, it's on YouTube, so I'll, you, you can... It's just Stephen Williams' murder interrogation on YouTube. 
Um, and, and so a second option, as the detective is alluding, he says, you know, you didn't tell us what really happened, how it was probably just an accident that got out of hand and you panicked. And he's basically trying to convince him to like salvage any little bit of his reputation that he might still have. And probably he's making him seem like we can get over this. And he doesn't like specifically say like, you know, you won't be charged, but he's making it seem like that's the better option, obviously. Trying to get a good confession out of it. Exactly. He wants a confession, but most of all, he wants to know where the body is. Yeah, I think we all do. Yeah. Um, where it gets very interesting is he tries to really probe Stephen into talking badly about Trisha because clearly he knows that there is some sort of issues. Like he's read the journals, clearly. Yeah. Um, so he's like, there, uh, allegedly there was an incident, and I, I think she even actually explicitly states it in one of her journal entries, where she called the police due to some sort of like physical domestic incident and he got arrested for it. But then later she said that she made the whole thing up or it was all her fault and dropped the charges. And so there's a lot of alluding to that incident. That's suspicious. Yeah. Steven's reaction in the interrogation. At first he's like very wishy-washy and he's just like, he's so vague about everything. And whenever the detective is trying to get him to, admit his involvement or be like we know that your story that you we know the story that you said is not true we know something else happened and he's like Stephen's like well if I change my story again no one's gonna believe me like I'm you know people are just gonna make stuff up and he's like trying to get out of not saying anything so he finally does start to tell his version of what actually happened and he starts talking about how faith wasn't feeling well and she wanted her mom and since he's such a great guy he called trisha um and the the detective is like no you're a great guy you wouldn't want to keep your daughter from her mom like she wants her mom he's like yeah like oh i just wanted to give her mom like and it's just like a lot awesome (laughs) it's super cringy um and so we got so she came over and she helped with the baby and then he starts talking about how as soon as she finished with the daughter, she comes out and like instantly starts berating him about money and that he sent her a check, but it went to the wrong address and he didn't know and it got sent back and she he owes her the money and where's the money? And he's telling a story about how she got so aggressive and like wouldn't get out of his face and wouldn't leave him alone and was just over and over and over and over and he's like why i don't want to do this i don't want to touch you i don't want anything to do with you i just want you to leave me alone and he's he's painting the story about how she's like this extreme aggressor and how he's like such a victim to the situation and he doesn't want to create another situation where like he gets blamed for domestic abuse or whatever um and like he's very vivid and like goes on and on and on and on but i'm gonna show you a piece of it right now and she gets really pissed about that and then she gets even more aggressive and in my face and pushing me back. And I'm like, would you please just stop? Like, I don't want, I don't want this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're so mad. I don't know if you, if you took a freaking crazy pill on the way over here and that really pissed her off. And uh, it just, it just escalated. And then I just moved her away and then she slipped. And that's when she freaking fell. And I'm like, oh shit. I asked her if she was okay. It was like a weird sound. She didn't say anything, though. And then I freaking panicked. And then I, I just freaking panicked. Because I didn't re- I didn't try to hurt you. I just wanted you to stop being here in my face yelling at me as I'm trying to back away. I'm trying to de-escalate. I don't want 
whatever this is, it's not it's not this serious. I don't know why it's so serious about this money. It's always been so like even throughout the divorce, every penny has just been so serious about her trying to get every dollar. Right. And I'm like, and now I made a mistake and I sent the check to the wrong address because I didn't know that wasn't a mailing address. And I, I can't explain where it is. I didn't even get it back in the mail until a week after that. And it, it just it just went so fast. And then I pushed her. And then it wouldn't push, push. I was just trying to get her away. Just please stop yelling She's in my fake. face. It's like, just, you know, like if she was at that distance, fine. But she wasn't. She's just right here the face. whole time. And I'm like, please just stop. And so I went to move her away. And she slipped. And she hit her head. And I didn't mean for that. That wasn't my freaking fault. I wasn't. And then all I'm thinking is, great, now I've pushed her and she's hurt her head and, and I'm done. I'm just, everything I've tried to do, everything I've tried to be is done because I've made a mistake. I didn't even really even lose my cool. I just tried to move you away. I just did Those sound like real tears. Yeah. It's like hard to tell, like, you know, given the benefit of the doubt, maybe he's really crying, but I don't believe that he's really crying. And just like notice that like he's talking about a situation where the mother of his child who was sleeping in the room next to him falls and injures herself so badly that she is she can't speak and she's gurgling and the moment he's like she fell and she hit her head and i'm like oh frick like she freaking fell and freaking hit her head like like no like oh i went to see if she was okay like there was blood like i uh, it was horrifying i didn't know what to do like not a single mention of that just right. immediately immediately he's like Oh, it wasn't my fault. I was my... Like, oh. Like, clearly you murdered her. Clearly that's not true. I mean, I don't know, Madison. This seems like an innocent man to me. (laughs) No. (laughs) But it's like, oh, my God. And he's so whiny and so, like... She was just in my face. It was in my face. And it's like... Okay, whatever. Um, So clearly he's very sour about this whole incident. Um, wherein doesn't seem like he cares too much about her kind of seems like you know it's all about him kind of thing and how this is going to affect him and he does in some other place say like in his justification is like they had that previous domestic situation before that he was blamed for so and yes he allegedly was completely innocent of all that though her journal seems to indicate otherwise um so that's why he like doesn't report it or like doesn't immediately try to save her i don't know how why that would have stopped you from like trying to see if she's breathing or like like, take her to the hospital or something yeah like if it's truly an accident if she truly slipped and fell then it's not your fault right i mean she's the mother of your child you know it kind of seems like you might care a little bit about her like you you cared enough about the child to like want her to be there right like make sure everything okay was okay because she was sick i mean something doesn't add up yeah so he, the detective gets him to admit his involvement, but though he just, he says it was an accident, but even after that, he still can't say, uh, 
where he put her. He he keeps the detective tries. He's like, okay, when you left, did you make a left or a right or whatever? He's like, I don't know. I was just driving. I just it was could think, and I just wanted I just wanted this to be over. I just wanted this situation to not be happening, and like just whining away. But then Poor the, you. at <laughs> some point, the detective's like, well, we know that she didn't like when she got there. You you put her in the car, and then you realize she didn't have gas, so you had to go get gas. So. You had to be in a in a right mind enough to like figure yourself out, go get gas, like put it in a container, bring it back to fill her car up with gas. Like you weren't so dazed and and like out of control that you didn't know where the gas station was or didn't know how to come back. Like you know you, and that's something he left out of the story that like when he goes and because that's really what kind of messed him up is he wanted to use her car obviously to like drive her. Home or drive her body away and then drive her car home so that right. it didn't allude to him or whatever. Maybe so that her hairs didn't get in his car or whatever. I mean, and he got the car home. Like he was in right mind enough to get the car home. He was able to go somewhere. He was then he was dazed and confused, and then he got home fine. So that obviously did not make sense. But even throughout this entire interrogation video, he doesn't say where she is. Okay. So at that point, they called off the. Um, search party um and then i i guess he's he's cornered he knows that they can try him he knows that they have evidence they closed off the search and the police their biggest problem was no confession really they kind of had a confession but no body they needed the body so steven went back to his lawyer and the his lawyer before charges had even been laid down offered a plea bargain or suggested a plea deal um, and said, okay, look, we will take a secondary degree murder, 35 years, and he will show you where the body is. Wow. Okay. Um, so mind you, this is Florida. This is death penalty central. So that, but, but the prosecutor went back to the family and like their, their main thing was they wanted to find her. And they, at this point, they're like, we think this is the only way we're going to be able to find her body because we've, there's, she could be anywhere. They had no clue. Yeah. And there was no, there was no forensics in this entire, like he, he transported her in a car. There's, there was nothing. There was no blood anywhere. It was, they had nothing to go on besides his the like eyewitnesses of him moving around right. and his own word so they agreed to that and steven got in the car with the detectives and he brought them out to the hungry land wildlife and environmental area which was along the border between martin and palm beach counties in florida um and this is all on video too of him being driven out there and the camera like stays right on him the whole time it's like super intense um, and so there's video evidence or video footage of them taking, he, he brings them out to this, it's like a big, I guess, park, like environmental area. Right. So it's like flat grass and like further back of where it is, there's like trees and stuff. And along the edge is like a canal. Okay. And so he brings them out and they're like, is it here? Are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'm sure. And in the middle of this grassy area, there's this patch of like no grass. And then in the middle of that, there's some liquid. So he puts a little flag in it and they're like, are you sure this is where it is? He's like, yep. And he's like, he's wearing, you know, his orange jumpsuit. He's handcuffed and the camera starts to go really close in on his face. And he's like turning around and they're like, all right, we've got to get hazmat out here and blah, blah. And then they start talking about this acid and they're like, what acid was it? And someone's like, oh, hydrochloric acid. 
So then they dig her up. And what they find is a giant, like basically a Rubbermaid container, like a storage container. And they pull it out. And inside is her body chopped all up. Oh, God. Sitting in hydrochloric acid. Okay. So it was a little more gruesome than he led them to believe. Yeah. And so as soon as they found that, they're like, okay. Buddy. That's not (laughs) friggin' cool. So they're like, okay. Then they look and they're like, there's pieces missing. So they're like, how do we, how do we, how do we backtrack so that we can charge him with more? Obviously this was premeditated. Like, or this was more than second degree murder. He's chopped her up and put her in acid. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, okay, there's pieces missing. We can go back and say, you didn't bring us to the entire body. And because he was supposed to bring her to the body. Right. But then they found the missing pieces. They found it was her fingertips and her teeth. That's what was missing. Yes, and that was it was scattered everywhere. And then they go into the canal and find his like murder kit and they find a uh, a, a chainsaw, another saw, and pliers in his bag that was thrown into the canal. Are you fucking kidding me? So they found the teeth, they found the, her fingertips scattered everywhere. Wait, they were just scattered around like outside of the rubbermaid? Yeah, just like like, as if he just, like, tossed them or whatever. Okay. But, like, near enough that they were, like, nearby. Um, and then in the water, they found uh, a chainsaw, another saw. I think it was called a reciprocal saw, which allegedly is something for a drywall. I don't I know anything about tools. I mean, it sounds serious. And pliers, which he obviously used to remove her teeth. Okay. Um, in, the, in a bag that had been thrown into the canal. This has taken a turn. Yes. So at that point, they had found all of her remains. So since they had agreed to that plea deal, there was nothing they could do. It was 35 years, second degree murder is what he was charged for. The judge was able to add on five years um, for child endangerment, for leaving his two-year-old child asleep at home while he murdered her mother. But it was added concurrently, so it doesn't add any more time. So later, Stephen would give a little bit more context. He clearly didn't give a lot of context, but this is what he told people. He planned in advance to kill Trisha. It was completely premeditated. He bought the container, the acid, and all the saws months beforehand back when he was in North Carolina. I think he there were, some of the saws came from Amazon. There's video footage of him buying the containers and the acid. When he planned the trip to come see them, he spent the whole day with her and the daughter. And I guess he had kind of planned to do it during the day, but like couldn't work up the nerve or like couldn't find the right time. Because I mean, he did have to do it where the daughter couldn't see. I I mean, she was two, so I don't know what she could have said, but I mean, probably he didn't want to do that to her. You would Who think. Who knows? Um, but he spent the whole day with them, couldn't work up the nerve to do it. And so later that night after Trisha had went home, he... This, this, he called her over. The daughter was not, it was, you know, he made it up and he lured her over there. At first he strangled her until the point that she was unconscious and tied her up. His plan was to let her uh, wake up while tied up so that he could get all of her internet passwords and email passwords and everything so that he could email all of her friends and family and say that she had gone on a mission trip to Haiti, which was something she had done previously. This is really thought out. It's months in advance. Wow. Um, but when she did come to, she just started screaming and she wouldn't, like, he, 
he couldn't get her passwords or anything. I mean, I would. Yeah, I would probably do that, too. He wanted the live journal password, realistically. Exactly. Um, so at that point, when she did regain consciousness, he just had to manually strangle her to death. Wow. Um, and I'm pretty sure... Oh, he, he beat her first until she stopped screaming, and then he manually strangled her to make sure she was dead. I mean, he seems like a great guy, honestly. Yeah, and everything happened while their two-year-old daughter was asleep in the other room. Um, then he wrapped up her body in trash bags, put her, which I'm sure he had ready to go, yeah. um, put her in her own car, and he drove to the remote site where they ended up finding her, where he had already pre-dug the hole, put the container in there with the acid, and I guess out there is where he chopped her all up, sprinkled her fingertips and teeth all over the place, and threw the rest of his, uh, his tools into the canal. This guy's a creep. Yeah, it's, it's completely fucked. It's completely fucked. Um, so then he went back to the Airbnb. He drove her car home. And then right. that's the video footage of him going through the woods is him going back to his Airbnb. Okay. And then went to bed, got the daughter up the next day, hung out with her. They went to Walmart. All yeah, these, the remember? sanctuary. He went to all these places where I'm sure he was captured on video to like, you know, give himself an alibi. And also he told them that, you know, how he had uh, taken the polygraph test and it was inconclusive. And he had actually suggested the polygraph test. He had taken a drug called Neuroton, I think it was called, Mm -hmm. um, which helped him to to pass. But he didn't pass, but it it helped him to not, um, you know, look guilty in the polygraph test. I mean, those tests like we, you know, you can you can fuck them up pretty easily. I feel like I don't I don't trust polygraph tests at all. Um, They're not. Um, they're not recognized no. by the court. They're they're a tool people use, I guess. It's more it's more, I guess, if like if you agree to do it or if you don't agree to do it. But even so, like I feel like if I was, I always put myself in a position of if I were to be um, accused of something that I was innocent of doing, and they were like, "Why don't you take a polygraph test?" And you know, part of me is like, "Well, yeah, I want to like show you that I'm not guilty." But also, polygraph tests can like really fuck shit up. Like, you, yeah, it can make you look guilty, and they're not. Um, they're not admissible as evidence in a trial. So, right. Yeah. Anyway. But he did, like, the point was that he tried to evade the test and, like, he took a drug and was able to, uh, you know, get through the polygraph test without appearing guilty. Yeah. So it worked. Seemed like a stand-up guy. Everything seemed great. Yeah. They liked him when they first talked to him. Yeah, right. He was really charming at first. Even I mean, there's a lot of interviews with um, the detectives who dealt with the case, and they even say they're like, he was a great guy. He was a nice guy. And even, and that's what just really gets me is the interviews with her family. Like at the end, the very end, after the trial, after this whole 35 years thing, like I would be pissed if for I was sure. the mother of somebody who that happened to. My God, only 35 years? This is a possibly a death penalty case. This is yeah. Florida. And the dad, he, they're, you know, they're very religious. So that's their perspective and, and whatever. But he's like, I forgive him. You know, if anything, I just wish I could have been a better father-in-law to him. I don't know where this went wrong. And I'm like, wow, like you're a bigger person than me for being able to forgive somebody. Especially when you know. I'd be mad. Especially when you know they're not going to serve the time that they really should be serving. Right. Um. So it's, I, I, I was, so obviously we're very interested in the why and I like I've tried very hard to find like what 
is up with him? Like, what happened to him? I would what love to know. The hell? Um, and there's there's not a lot. He We know that he grew up with Trisha and around her family. They right. knew each other High since school. elementary school. Everybody liked him in school, apparently. Um, mind you, like, there's no, like, interviews with, like, people that he went to school with. Maybe, maybe if you interviewed people... Like friends of his in high school, you, you know, come up with something. Yeah, he in all in all um, references, it, it seemed like he was a pretty great guy, but clearly, he premeditatedly did that. So I think he either was really really angry at her, for what I don't know, or he just was like a serial killer in the making, and like, you know, it. To me, it seems more like he was mad at her than he like wouldn't have enjoyed cutting up her body and all that stuff like to me it seems more like he this was like he was a very like he was in the air force so he's like a really i don't know i don't want to uh generalize people in in the air force i don't really know but he's clearly very meticulous he wanted he wanted to get rid of her and he wanted to make sure he got away with it so he took every step to make sure that he had a plan and if he stuck to it it would work out and they would never find her. And even if they did find her years later, they wouldn't know it was her because her fingertips would have been gone. Her teeth would have been gone. The thing that fucked him is the, the gas that she didn't have gas in her car. So he had to go. And then he was caught on video camera going to the gas station. And I think that just drove a wrench in his plan. I mean, wrench. Is that the right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's just weird, too. Like, what was his motive? Because they were divorced. So it's not like he had to see her. He wasn't paying her child. Like, he wasn't paying well, alimony. So what what issues was she necessarily causing for him, right? Well, and that's the thing that's unclear, too. Because her family is like, it was a completely amicable divorce. He didn't, she didn't even ask for alimony. But then he's, and the whole thing that he's saying, like, they got in the argument about the check or whatever, clearly that's all, that never happened, because he lured her over. Right. He, like, definitely what happened was he lured her over and was like, oh, yeah, things are fine. Bang, like, hit her over the head or strangle her or whatever. But I do think it's possible that they made it seem like the divorce was really amicable, where maybe, and, like, it seemed like they were trying to, like, settle, like, deal with everything outside of court. Right. So maybe there was some child some child support stuff, which, you know, money is a huge motive for people to murder each other, especially spouses or ex-spouses or whatever. Yeah, fair enough. And I feel like in my experience, it takes two to tango. So it's usually not like a super innocent one person and the other person's 100% just like totally an unfair, like asshole to that person. I feel like she probably was doing things to instigate him. And Honestly, the tone of her journals is a little bit off to me. The fact that it took multiple animal murders for her to be suspicious of him or to not forgive him. And it's almost like she probably was enabling that. And maybe this guy has like rage issues, low key, something like that. And she's kind of feeding into it. Um, But I don't know. No, she like definitely there was some back and forth stuff. And definitely like her journals to me indicate that like, they indicate something, and I don't know what it is, but it's not quite right. I mean, the fact the that end she's of the day, posting about the animal murders on her live journal saying, I'll forgive him, though. Here's a photo of the cat he poisoned, but I'll at, forgive him. At the end of the day, like, nobody deserves to be chopped up, stuck in a container full of acid and, like, Fair point. fingertips sprinkled about. But, yeah, yeah no. I it, And I think, obviously, after somebody dies, like, everybody's going to only say really nice things about them and really terrible things about him. Right. Clearly there was some sort of back and forth, but he did seem like an evil motherfucker. Like, he's out yeah. here killing kittens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, 
I wouldn't do. Allegedly. I don't know. That's <laughs> not been proven, but like, fuck. It's kind of long, but I'm going to read her final journal entry. And it was, she wrote it that night. Like it was at like 8 p.m. that night. Okay. There was, she this. actually weirdly wrote like a couple entries right leading up to, to uh, her murder. Her final entry is, your mind is the most ethereally beautiful thing. And now it is time to tell you what's been on mine. I'm broken over your Zodiac photography coinciding with God speaking to me about it. Whatever he sets on my soul is not for yours. I do still believe he separated us intentionally. I believe it was for the good of both of us. However ugly and hurtful it was when it went down. Your path is absolutely different and can't be compared to mine in any way. My rules don't need to be a distraction to you. My opinions block what the Lord is doing in you organically you've wondered why i live this way and why i had to suddenly obey there was something that i didn't tell you and i won't i can't i'm afraid as soon as i enter the pool down the steps the proper way i'll reveal why i've been so paranoid if you care to know you warned me about her i'm glad you did and i'm still terrified by her words she claimed they were his and some of them were but perhaps not the threat at the end. One, off and my life will be pain and disaster. God help me. The picture that was shown me, I've been terrified. I posted this in my journal because I'm afraid you didn't want to hear from me. Also, I don't want to be making excuses for how I hurt you. If you come here to read this, then it's on you. Beautiful one, exquisite soul. You know you win every argument. You see things the way you want to see them. Perhaps you see the truth more clearly than I do, but it's not fair. It's simply unfair the power you have to crush my soul. I'm still crying. I don't have a right to. End quote of the journal. What do you make of that? Honestly, I don't really know. Um, though some people on Reddit, so... Yeah, let's hear it. Shout out Reddit. Yeah, they speculate that the she she's referring to, where she says that, like, she said, told me this, yep. or whatever, is uh, Stephen's mother, who okay. actually, when the police were talking to her before he was arrested, she told them that she quoted C- Stephen as saying, quote, she, meaning Trisha, could poof, disappear, Sherry, it was her name, also told the police that during a phone call on March 13th, 2016, so she went missing on April 26th is when she was murdered. Okay. Um, uh, she was uh, had a phone call with her son, and he told her that he hated Trisha. So I don't know. The People speculate that she's referring to Trisha's mom who may be – because she's the only one who's, like, quoting him saying something bad about her or, like, quoting something where she's, like – she could poof disappear. We're like, that's what he made her disappear. Almost like Stephen's mom like gave him the idea for it. Or, or that Stephen's mom tried to warn her. Oh, I wonder. If and that's mind you, what it was. this journal entry was written after she spent the whole day with him. Yeah, yeah. So, so she was probably picking up on you know what he was putting down. So what what I know about what happened before this is she's obsessed with some other guy. Uh-huh. So I don't know if he's got something to do with it. And she's met up with her ex-husband who, I mean, if you're going to murder, like maybe she had some intuition about it. Maybe, yeah, maybe. And like maybe she 
like a lot of people kind of get the idea that they're going to be murdered before because like something is led up obviously something has happened that she's aware of 100%. that made him upset that to and led to him right. murdering her i mean he killed so many of her pets so i feel like you would you would think that at a certain point he might come for you i feel like yeah but i mean and even though i do think that some of her journaling was kind of sketchy and whatever she did seem like a good person and a good mother and somebody who was very loved and so it's like awful that she died and horrific the way that she died a hundred percent and i just i only hope that steven does something in jail either he gets murdered in jail that would be like reasonable or he does something to extend his sentence i know actually recently i was looking up uh he got he got in trouble for like stealing ink to like sell to people for tattoos he had a job or something um just the usual you know prison activities yeah that people get up to. I mean, 35 years, like, it definitely doesn't seem like quite enough. And I would wonder, like, is this guy in 35 years, is he going to be rehabilitated when he comes out? Or is he going to be, like, 35 years meaner and crazier yeah, and released back into society? He would have only been around 30-ish when this happened. Yeah. So he's only going to be, what, 65? So... I mean, maybe he'll change. I don't know. But it definitely seems like he got off pretty easy. Yeah. Considering. I mean, it's Florida. Like, they could they just, th- like, throw death penalties at people down there. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. F- Florida and Texas are, like, the... I wrote somewhere in my notes, I was like, he avoided a classic Florida death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> so, just because our scale, we go to the 10 of the point of, like the Jonestown massacre, like things that were on just such a massive scale. Like of people who upness. torture children. Yeah. So based on that metric, honestly, I could put it at a three. And it's pretty obvious when you hear cases like this. I mean, almost a hundred percent of the time it's the spouse or the ex spouse. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just kind of like that's how it is. So I'm not surprised that he did it, but the level of planning that went into it and the level of like specific brutality that he treated her with especially like with the animals and with after death i mean it puts it above a one or a two for me for sure and leaving the child there too leaving the child yeah i forgot about that i feel like i'm still kind of biased because i'm seeing like all this stuff about what what a great couple they were and like how the family liked him and it almost seems like you know, other than her, uh, like, potential allegations of him killing the animals, it seems like he's a stand-up guy. So I'm still having trouble kind of wrapping my head around it, to be honest, like, why he did it. But based on our possibly skewed perspective of what's fucked up and what's not, I think I'll put it at a firm three. Yeah, I put it, I th- I said two or three, and that's, I, I, I stand by that. I think it's, like, it's a couple steps above, like, a regular Dateline, like, and still, right. like, a regular Dateline episode to me is, like, you know, I mean, somebody's it's a, it's cheating. a bedtime story, essentially. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> somebody's cheating, or somebody needs money, and there's a life insurance policy, and they kill someone. It's just the premeditation that's of it right, all. That's right, right. And it's also, like, how he tried to evade uh the police and how he he knew that once they found her that it would be obvious that it was premeditated and right. so he's like get in with the plea deal and like that was that, smart it I was mean, very slick yeah yeah he seems like a savvy dude like that's the thing i mean he's convinced all these people he's such a good guy honestly in the interrogation like 
I found the fake tears to be pretty obvious, but I could see how he could be a charming guy. I mean, he's like an attractive dude. He's like, uh, you know, look you in the face, talk to you kind of guy. So that kind of creeps me out of all the people that I know that I think are really upstanding people. <laughs> exactly. That's, a, that's, you never that's know. The, the scariest part is like everybody thought he was such a great guy. And then he was chopping people up, throwing them in acid. Clearly, he watched wow. Breaking Bad before this. Anyway, I think that's that's pretty much it for the show. Cool. Well, this was honestly really interesting. I feel like I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. <laughs> if you want to rope me in getting interested in a case, bring it, bring something in with animals. I feel like it's going to yeah. really ensnare me. Sorry, I'll give more of a warning. I think we should warn at the beginning and be like, okay, this has like animal abuse. I think yeah. that's one of the things that people are like not cool with. Sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry, sorry. But please... Uh, Check out our Instagram at Who's Knocking Podcast. Tell us how we did. Tell us what you thought of of this story, where you would put it on a scale. And if you have any interesting cases that we should check out, please let us know. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it for this episode. And if you made it all the way to the end, like, thank you. Yeah, thanks for indulging us. <laughs> <laughs> we had fun doing this. Hopefully you had fun listening. Yeah. And we'll catch you next time. Cool. See ya. Bye. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Lost Line Media. Artwork by August Digital. Music by Matthew Cook.